Romans 8, verses 1 through 6. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, we who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Romans 8, 1 through 6. John chapter 14, we read the words of Jesus. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. <clears throat> I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Are you a person of deep spiritual insight? That's almost a funny question. Lots of people these days are saying things like, well, I'm spiritual. I think that's one of those things you can say and you, don't, you have no idea what you mean. And what you mean and what I mean might be really different when you say I'm spiritual, and when I say I'm spiritual, which, by the way, is not a thing I would very often say. I'm not sure how I would answer this question. Am I a person of deep spiritual insight? We have another problem with this question is, about what do you mean deep? That seems like a sort of relative term. Not sure what I mean deep. Today I want to talk about spiritual life and I think I want to tell you that even though you have, may not have noticed and even though you may not feel it 
that if you have come to faith in Christ, you are a person of deep spiritual insight. But I want to start with a little review because we're starting in the middle of the talk I meant to give entirely last Sunday and I only got halfway through it. And that is a discussion of this text in the book of First John and of course, I'm sorry, in the Gospel of John. And uh, these six verses in the Gospel of John, of course, are only part of the record of the talk Jesus gave the night he was betrayed. This uh, whole text is sometimes called the Upper Room Discourse. It's Jesus' last words to the disciples before he goes to the cross. It's a preparation, and at various times in this talk, he even says to them, I know you don't understand this now, but you will come to understand this later. You will, that's one way of saying, you'll come to understand this in light of certain events that have not yet occurred, but that are about to occur, namely his death, his resurrection, and even his ascension. And then, of course, he's describing in this very paragraph that we're looking at his sending of the Spirit, which is going to happen, you know, in about a, a month and a half from now. You know, 40 days after, well, more than 40 days. He's around for 40 days after the resurrection, then he ascends, and then sometime later, the Spirit comes. Anyway, so this is a preparation they, they need to hear these words that they don't know what to do with them when they hear them. We operate from a different point of view because we operate in the time after the day of Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit is sent. So we are operating at some kind of advantage. But in any case, in this talk, Jesus says, we're, we're, I'm going to go back not to the beginning, but he's, he's explained to the disciples that these works that you see me do, you'll do the same kind of works you've seen me do and greater works. And we started by trying to figure out what on earth could, might we do that would be greater works. And the answer to that question is we're all doing greater works after Jesus' greater work of resurrection. And so what's greater about these works is they're conducted in resurrection life. Not that the works themselves are different or larger or broader or any of those things. They're greater in the sense of they're like fully alive. Because in our life before the resurrection, well, it's unresurrected. And when Christ is resurrected, his works are greater and so are ours in the light of that. He says, because I'm going to my Father, in that very sentence, you'll do these greater works because I'm going to my Father. And going to the Father for Jesus, when he said these things, means going to the cross 
going to the tomb, rising out of it, and ascending into heaven, where he ever lives to make intercession for us. There, before, when Jesus said these things, Jesus was not seated at the right hand of God, raised from the dead, interceding for these men. Now, he is. So, he goes on. You can ask me anything in my name and I'll do it. So we talked about that. What does it mean to ask in his name? Well, it means my very standing for asking anything, for even being in the presence of Almighty God, the righteous, holy God, as a sinner. My only standing for that is in the name of Jesus. The only thing that gives me a right, as Hebrew says, to come boldly before the throne of grace is in Jesus' name. If I'm not in Jesus' name, I can't be standing there. And when I pray in Jesus' name, I'm also invoking Jesus' authority. It's as though I'm saying before God Almighty and Jesus says so at the end of my prayer. Well, that might make me change some things I pray. And maybe I should say, and I hope in Jesus' name. So, whichever of those two ways, I think I can also just come before God in Jesus' name. And because I am in Jesus' name, I can pray even ridiculous things. And the scripture says, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to intercede because I don't know how to pray. And the Spirit intercedes according to the will of God. And so I can pray in Jesus' name. I can do so boldly even if I'm not well informed, even if I don't know what I'm asking. Because Jesus died and rose from the grave and is seated at the right hand of God and because the Spirit also intercedes, I cannot pray a mistaken prayer even when I pray mistaken prayers. And they are all mistaken and yet God is good. And God is welcoming and God receives and God responds and God cares and God takes care so that he understands my ignorance, my ineptitude. He's got it. It's not a problem. So then, last time we came to this statement, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And we notice that true obedience is always grounded in love and that keeping his commandments is more than just rote obedience to some set of rules. It's, it's a care, a concern, a watching over, like shepherds keep sheep, we keep his word. 
And we notice that his commandments are summarized in the expression, love one another. In fact, when somebody asked Jesus, what's the most important commandment? He said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second one, which is kind of like it, is love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. And Paul writes in Galatians that all of the law of God is summarized in that single word, love. The, re the rest of the law of God is detail because we're not very smart about how to love. We're naturally self-oriented in the flesh. We, we revolve around ourselves. We're not... I, I, the person I really love is me. And so that's why it says love your neighbor as yourself. It's like saying this, oh, you know how you love yourself? See if you can love other people like that. And Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If we love Christ, we take his word we love his word, we keep it, we watch after it, we see to it. And then he says, and I will ask my father and he will give you another paraclete, another, our translation says helper, some translations say comforter, counselor, encourager, advocate. And this word paraclete literally means to call to one side. It's someone who comes along beside you. And he says another paraclete, which means there's one and another one. He is the first paraclete. And he's leaving, he's announcing that in this very talk, and he's going back to the Father, and so he's going to ask the Father when he gets there to send another paraclete, another one who comes along beside you. There's something everyone needs, someone alongside. And so he says, I'll send someone alongside the spirit of truth. And he just said, you know, a few sentences back, I am the truth. He's saying, my spirit, who's also, by the way, the spirit of the Father. He's, uh, according to the ancient creed, he proceeds eternally from the Father and the Son. And he'll be with you forever. And you'll, you know him because he dwells with you and will be in you. How does the Spirit dwell with them? In the person of Jesus. You see, there's a fellowship of the Trinity that's so perfect, so absolute and perfect, that if you're with Jesus, you're with the Holy Spirit. Oh, and as he mentioned before, you're with the Father. 
he says to Philip, when Philip says, show us the Father, he says, what, what do you think I've been doing, Philip? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father's in me, I'm in the Father. The Father's in the Spirit, I'm in the Spirit. The Spirit's in me. Early in the book of John, we read that in the case of Jesus Christ, the Father gives the Spirit without measure. So, he goes on. And this is the part we come to today. He says, I'll ask the Father and he'll send this other helper. And then he says, he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, as children with no parents. I will come to you. Who's coming? Jesus is. Is, this, is he talking about the second coming, you know, that we're still anticipating? Well, he's also talking about what he's been talking about, which he will send the Spirit. When the Spirit comes, He comes. He doesn't leave you as orphans. We're not left as orphans, as children without parents. We're still little children, remember? He began this whole address by addressing the disciples as His little children, and then they exhibited little childlike behavior. He's addressing us as little children, but not orphans. Not orphans. There's a parenting, there's a fatherhood in the Spirit. He's the Spirit of the Son. He's also the Spirit of the Father. He's the one, the Scripture says repeatedly, that having the Spirit, we cry out, Abba. Father, that affectionate term for father, like dad, daddy, <laughs> papa. I can, I can address Almighty God like a four-year-old kid addresses his papa. And that is the ministry of the Spirit in my soul. He doesn't leave me as an orphan. He leaves me in the... He doesn't, he doesn't leave me as an orphan. He brings to me the true understanding that I have a perfect Father in God. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm no orphan. The Spirit parents us. The Spirit communicates the provision of the Father to us. And that provision, of course, is mostly delivered in the death and resurrection and ascension and intercession and the promised coming of Jesus. We are saved by the triune God. And 
None of the persons of God operate in independence from each other. They're always absolutely intimately involved in everything they do. Though each of them is a person and acts individually. I hate to use that word though because it's not that individually. It's always in perfect fellowship and unity with the other persons of the Trinity. It is unity and diversity in Trinity. It is the right idea of unity and diversity. It is why in so many areas of our existence and life, we experience unity and diversity together. That unity in many ways depends on diversity. We can be unified because we're not exactly the same. And our unity does not erase our diversity. This is everywhere. It's simply a reflection of the God who made all things. He doesn't leave us orphans. He's with us. Jesus is with us. He says, I will come to you. Jesus himself is with us in the person of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. So the Father is the source, the Son is the agent, the Spirit is the life. I'm alive, according to John chapter 3, because the Spirit has regenerated me. I was born again. By the Spirit, you might recall. He brought me to faith. He brought me to trust in Christ, to see Christ. Oh, and that's exactly what Jesus says next. He says, yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. You will see me. This reminded me of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, and several verses after that. Let me just read this. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers, to keep them from seeing the light of the keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ 
who is the image of God. Do you hear the Trinity? Who is it that unveiled your face so so you could see the light of the good news of the glory of Christ, the image of God, the Father, the Spirit? For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, that's Genesis 1, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. How do we see the glory of God in the face of Christ by the unveiling work of the Holy Spirit? That's how. You will see, he says, you will see resurrected, glorified Christ. You have seen resurrected, glorified Christ, not with your eyeballs. But if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, this has been your experience. The Scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, for now we see, we see in a mirror dimly. So now we, our vision is like we are using a periscope. You know, we're using a mirror and we're holding it out around the corner of something and it's not a very clean mirror. And we can see him, but we don't see him like we will see him. So this is one of those already not yet things. You've seen him, but you will see him. <laughs> you have been raised, but you will be raised. And you will, we, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. Now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. You will see. You do see, but you will see. And this is the service and ministry of the very Spirit of God who has been delivered, who came on that great day of Pentecost and indwells each of us and us as the church, the one man, the new man, the creation of God in the body of Christ. You will see and you will live. That's the next thing he says. Because I live you also will live. Because I am raised, you will be raised. You will live the resurrected, glorified life. You know, in Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This theme is repeated in Romans chapter 6. We were united with Christ in his death, and so we are united with Christ in his resurrection. And maybe the most clear statement of this is in Ephesians chapter 2, 
where we read that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. But then it says in verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Made us, not is going to make us, has made us. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him, not will seat us, has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, guess where you are? Not just here. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will live, you will be, you have been made alive. Now, when Jesus said this, it was still in the future for these men. It is not in the future for us. It has occurred. And that's what we read in Ephesians 2, which was written after it occurred. In Ephesians 2, he has made us alive together with Christ. You'll see, you'll live. And then he says one more thing we'll do. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know. You will know. You will see, you'll live, you'll know. Now these things are not separable. I think they're really three ways of talking about the same thing. You'll see, you'll live, you'll know. What will you know? This is what you will know. You will know that I am in my Father. Hmm. Okay. You will know that you are in me. How will you know that? Well, it's in that day. What day are we talking about? The day of the Holy Spirit. After he sins, after he prays the Father and the Father sends the Spirit, then we'll know that not only is he in the Father and the Father's in him, we'll know that we're in him. Oh, and he's in us. This is going to become very important in the study of this whole section that we're engaged in all the way to the end. Because when Jesus prays that high priestly prayer in John chapter 17 at the conclusion of this talk, this is the thing he prays. That we would experience the unity, the unity of the Father and the Son. That we would be in that unity. That he would be in us and us in him. The Father's not going to say no to that prayer. The Father did not say no to that prayer 
that is what we know. I know that I am in Christ and that He is in me. How do I know that? Well, it's an interesting word, this word know. It's the word ginosko in the Greek language that the text was written in. And it's a certain kind of knowing. It's a knowing, it's sort of experiential. It's not knowing just because you've been told. It's not the sort of knowing that you know by reading a book about it. Though it might include that. It's the sort of knowing, it's also personal. It's the sort of knowing we could, I, I would mean if I said, uh, if I said, Marco's a friend of mine, I know him. I know him. It's kind of personal. Honestly, all-knowing kind of boils down to that one way or another, even the knowing you get out of books. But the point here is, this is experiential. In other words, when, when Jesus says, you'll know that I'm in the Father, one thing, one way you could read that is you will, you will experience the fact that I am in the Father. How will we experience that? Well, he's already said, by the sending of the Spirit. How do I experience the fact that he's in the Father? I have the Spirit, that's how. And so I know. The Scripture says the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Spirit cries out in my heart, Abba, Father. How do I know? I, it's not just I've been told, I have the experience. Now, you might say, well, what does that feel like? I don't know that it feels like anything. And maybe what it feels like in my experience is not exactly the way it feels in your experience. However, <laughs> We know. You will realize these things. What things? That He is in the Father, that you are in Him, and that He is in you. That's what you will know. And the simple question is, well, do you know it? Now, here's the thing. When I use the word know, we often, in, modern, in the modern world, we often use the word no to mean something like this. Are you 100% mathematically certain of this fact? That is not the meaning of this word no. And by the way, there is no such thing as that kind of knowing. 100%. We don't even know math with that sort of certainty. But I know that I know you and that you know me, and I have a certain experience in which I know things, and I experience the world, and I, it's a real world that I'm in contact with, and I'm touching it, and feeling it, and sensing it, and probing it, and I'm getting to know people by talking to them, and listening to them, and watching them. And so we come to know the Spirit has come. The Spirit indwells each believer. The Spirit indwells the fellowship of the body of Christ. 
And so we know. You know, mostly here when I'm preaching to you, I don't have to like give you an argument. I don't have to prove much of anything. In fact, really all I try to prove is that this is what the word, the scripture actually says. Well, that's already based on the belief on, in my heart that you, if you see what it says, believe that, that that is in fact the Word of God. You know. So Jesus says, look, when the Spirit comes, you'll see Christ. You'll live because He lives, and you will know that He's in God, that you're in Him, and that He's in you. How do you know? Well, I, it's really just simple. Like, have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? If, if I ask you the question, when you stand before God and God says, God's, you know, ready to judge you, when you stand before God and God's ready to judge you, do you have anything to say? I'll tell you, there's only one thing I have to say, and that is, He is in me and I am in Him. I have nothing else. Not one thing else. Nothing I have done for Him, even the fruitful work I have somehow managed to pull off in Christ. None of that. I won't mention it. All I can say is, He died for me. I have nowhere else to stand. I am in Him and He is in me. Oh, that's all. That's what I know. <laughs> if I, I can't stand it, well then I know. If I have trusted in Christ, there's only one way, according to Scripture, there's only one way that could have occurred. And that is that the Spirit unveiled my face so that I could see Christ, so that I could correctly identify Christ to be the Son of God, Savior, my Savior, that his death atones for my sin and reconciles me to a living God and thereby makes me... None of that. I would not comprehend any of that, let alone trust in it, except that the Spirit of God has worked in me. The Scripture says, we read it, the, those who are perishing are blind to this reality. They do not see the glory of God in the face of Christ. If you have seen the glory of God in the face of Christ, all I have said this morning is true about you. Everything. He has come to you. The Spirit of God dwells in you. You see Him. You live. And you know that you are in Him and He is in you. You are a person of deep spiritual insight. 
and you didn't even know. It didn't seem that deep, maybe. You thought, well, my mom said to, put, to ask Jesus into my heart, and I did. I trusted it. It didn't seem that deep at the time. Trust me. It's as deep as it can possibly be. It is the very living God come to dwell in you. Oh, for heaven's sake. If you, we should all fall on the ground when we hear that. Please don't fall on the ground. The scripture says, Jesus himself says, that he has sent the very spirit of the living God, the creator of all things, and that person dwells in you. We sang that song. <laughs> I'm so glad that Jesus loves me. That's not the good part. The best line is, even me. And I love that, that line where it says, when I forget. And then it says, back to his dear loving arms, I will flee when I remember that Jesus loves me. <clears throat> well, if I've noticed that Jesus loves me, it's because Jesus sent the Spirit and the Spirit recognizes his love. This is true about you if you have trusted in his work. Now, when you hear this, and you're one of those, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow. Why? Well, they're devoted, for heaven's sake. They're devoted. When I see the love of Christ, and I think, even me? Really? Me? Me? Yeah. What does this do? <laughs> it... It's like an engine. It's like a fire. It's, it's like I cannot help loving him. When I think of his love for me, I love him. And I think, oh, but my love, it's so weak and pitiful, and I forget all about him on Tuesday. And uh. But when I remember... Back to his dear loving arms, I will flee. I'm so glad that Jesus loves me. <coughs> his love is unfailing. My love, eh, you know. Many of you have experienced my love. You know how wavery it is. His love is rock solid and the Spirit dwells and he will be with us forever right here in this text he doesn't come and then leave never happens has not happened one time ever do you love him yeah I do I do I'm not very good at it but I do love him.
And because I love him, I can love you. His commandments. Again, I know I'm not very good at it, but I can do, I can love you. I see him. I live because he lives. I know that I am in him and he is in me. And all of these things are true about you if you are one of his, if you have put your faith in Christ, if your standing depends only on him, then this, these things are true about you. Father, thank you for the assurance of your word. Lord, help us to start from the assurance of your word, to live forward from your promises, not to gain them, but to live from them. Thank you for your grace, for your love, for the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.